Have you tried one of those voice-only telephone systems? Well, if you want department A, press 1. If you want department B, press 2. C, press 3. And when you finally get to the department, another, then, well, as you say, the same miserable voice comes in and says, now, if you want sub-department A, press 1. Sub-department B, press... And here you're sitting there, and the phone's sticking to your ear, trying to speak to a live person. A voice comes in and he says, Now press the corresponding number to the last letter of the first name, followed by the corresponding number to the first letter of the last name, and then the middle initial. Now, I don't know what the guy's initials are. (laughs) But I really find the worst kind that really test my patience is when someone said, He'll be with you momentarily. And you sit there, and your ear grows by the phone in your ear, and then you end up hanging up because it takes forever. I hate being put on hold, don't you? I really do. I just, I don't know. This is one of the processes of sanctification in my spirit. But, uh, and I really admire people who have patience. I really do. I admire them. I pray daily for patience. I die daily to impatience. At least I try. <laughs> the other day I got impatient in the traffic. And which was the power of God I'm doing less and less of. And, and I, I, I got so impatient, and, I, and I'm not going to tell you what I did, but I did something that you would want to know, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> and then when I pulled in, right there in the light, I looked, and there is a car full of people from apostles. <laughs> I didn't wind the window down. I tried not to look. They didn't say anything, but the wave <laughs> spoke volumes. <laughs> Whew. I paid him not to say anything. <laughs> it's like the little boy who was riding in the car with his mother one day, and, and then all of a sudden he said to his mother, said, Mom, why are all the idiots are on the road driving when Dad is driving? <laughs> I am personally convinced, in my own heart and my own spirit, of the fact that attending the God's school of patience is a requirement of all believers. At least in my case, I often see the hand of God in waiting. In every delay, God uses it to construct my character. In every waiting, God chisels away at the excesses in my life. In every detour... It increases the level of my trust and the level of my commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. In every disappointment, I have learned to see God's appointment. Now today, on a much larger and a more significant scale, we're going to find God's winner, Joseph, is being put on hold. Joseph, in chapter 40, you find him holding the telephone in his ear and is on hold... For 11 years. 11 years. But through it all, God was working His purposes out. All those who have accomplished great things for God, as you read the Scripture, that they have been at one stage or another in their life, been put on hold. 
Abraham was put on hold for 25 years. Moses was put on hold for 40 years. David was put on hold for many years from the time he was anointed by Samuel to the time he became the king. Paul, who had the dream of going to Rome and the revelation of God that he must go to Rome, his dream was put on hold for two years while he was in the prison in Caesarea. John Knox was put on hold for nearly 12 years. And here Joseph ended up in the Egyptian dungeon for a sin that he never committed and with a totally false accusation being put on hold. It is impossible to really know how Joseph must have felt at that time. Sitting there in a dark dungeon, it is impossible to know exactly how he felt. It is impossible to know what his thoughts were. Except the scripture gives us a little insight. It's in verse 15 of chapter 40, a book of Genesis. You can sense in that verse the inner agony. As he said to the cupbearer after he interpreted his dream, he said, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. It's the first time we hear that inner agony in that great man, God's winner, Joseph. There's nothing could be worse than this kind of testing. It is one thing to be tested and tried when you are guilty. And it's a whole different ball game when you are innocent. When your very purity causes you injustice. When your very integrity causes you suffering. When your very loyalty and honesty throws you in the darkness. But I want to tell you that. How... You deal with that injustice in your life. How you deal with that unfairness that comes your way makes a difference whether you are a winner or a loser, whether you are a winner or a whiner in the kingdom of God. It really does. An interviewer from the West Coast had me on a talk show program for about an hour. And one of the early questions in the the conversation, she asked me, she said, what is in your opinion? The number one problem in American Christianity, without a second's hesitation, as if it is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I said to her, sentimentality. And she was such speed. She said, what do you mean by this? I said, what I mean is this, that we have placed everything in the Christian life on the scales of feelings. We feel, I feel, he feels, she feels. We are living on our feelings. We have allowed our feelings to rule supreme in our lives. We have placed our feelings on the thrones of our hearts. We have let our feelings replace our convictions. We have made our feelings to be the measure of all things. And there are whole churches today that are functioning and operating based on feelings rather than the authoritative Word of God. Our relationships and our friendships are built upon feelings, not devotion. Our marriages are built on feelings, not commitment. Our work is driven by feelings, not honor and duty and a sense of accomplishment and doing something right in our lives. Even our faith is now measured by feelings. I feel spiritual, therefore I am spiritual. Never mind about conduct. Never mind about the purity of my heart. Never mind about the moral demands of the Scripture. When I want to tell you in reality, feelings have very little to do 
with the faith. In fact, if I look at it from my perspective, it has probably less than 5% in the scheme of things. After all, our moments of great spiritual feelings and the moments of ecstatic joy, they really don't require much faith, do they? In fact, I grow more in my Christian walk in the times of spiritual barrenness than in the times of spiritual ecstasy. I mature in Christ more in the times of spiritual dryness than in the times when I'm spiritually on top of the world. I learn to trust God more when I am in the wilderness of God than I am sitting on the riverbank singing the Song of Zion. A.W. Tozer, one of the great men of God, once was asked about this question. He said the following, he said, Feelings are the play of emotions over the will. That's really what it is. And then he continued to say that feelings are like musical accompaniment. And just as we can march towards Zion without the band playing, we can walk with God even without the fulfillment of our feelings. I say amen to that. Listen, the people who live in this touchy-feely kind of level in their life, do not accomplish your great things for God. They really don't. They're going to live on that level for until Jesus comes back. Until they break away from it and they say, With Joshua, as for me and my household, we shall worship the Lord. We'll be like Daniel when he purposed in his heart. Not how he felt. I'm sure he didn't feel like going down and talking to these lions. He didn't know he was going to be talking to them. But he purposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with the food of the king. Joseph, our winner here in God's eye, wins because he learned the lesson of walking with God regardless of his feelings. I want to tell you something. Please hear me right. And you know my heart and I don't mean that in any, because I'm as guilty as the rest of you. I am convinced that we Christians in America have been ruined by Hollywood. We really are. We have expected to see a hero in every crisis. We have expected to have a quick solution to every problem. We have expected a quick way out of every predicament. And we have taken that same rotten, infected attitude and applied it to the church, applied it to the work of God, applied it to our own Christian life. Have you had your miracle today? I might not get a miracle today. I may be in the Egyptian dungeon today. But I'm still God's winner. Regardless of where I am. Regardless of how I feel. I don't get up every morning and say, Well, I don't feel like working today. Well, if you want to starve to death, do it. You don't live by your feelings. Because you don't trust your feelings. So we have taken this unreal, unbiblical Hollywood attitude and applied it to the Christian faith. And we ring the bell and the bill, the big great bill hop in the sky we call God, jumps to his feet and he said, yes sir, what can I do for you today? That's really the way we think. Our attitude in prayer, listen God, I'm talking. Instead of speak God, I am your servant heareth. And there's a world of difference between the two. A world of difference between the two. Joseph was a winner 
even when his life was put on hold. Far from living on the level of his feelings, Joseph was living by faith. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not against feelings. These are part of our God-given gifts. But what I'm saying is this. Don't live by your feelings. Don't trust your feelings to be the measure of things. But live by faith in the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob. That He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And He is not going to change simply because we're not able to hear Him. Simply He has taken time to answer your prayers. And Joseph was far from living the life of blaming somebody else or blaming God. To be sure, he proclaimed his innocence. But never once, look at the scripture, never once did he blame anybody in his life. And he could have rightly done so. He said, listen, I have these miserable brothers of mine, and they're the ones who sold me. They're miserable. They're, they're the bad ones. They're the ones who caused me to be here. But let me tell you about this old hag called Mrs. Potiphar. I mean, she is the one who falsely accused me. Not once. You look at it in the scripture. Not once did he blame anybody else. Why? I wanted you to listen carefully, please. Joseph was in the cell, but he never allowed the cell to enter into his heart. Joseph was inside the dungeon, the dark dungeon, but he never allowed the darkness of that dungeon to enter his life inside of him. Joseph was living in the wilderness of despair, but he never let despair live in him. A dear friend of mine was telling me a few weeks ago that one day he was in the car and he felt the spirit of despair was coming upon him. He said, I felt it coming on my skin. He said, said, but I named the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ. It will not enter inside of me. And that is what responsibility is all about. It is our ability to respond. Difficulties will come to all of us. No one is immune. But how you and I respond to the difficulty is going to determine whether you're a winner or a whiner. Those who are constantly blaming their parents, blaming their children, forever going over it and over, blame the school teacher, the postman, the, I mean, blaming the cats and the dogs and blaming everybody. They will achieve one thing. I can tell you that. Listen to me, please. They will achieve one thing in life, and that is they're going to make everybody run as soon as they see them. So, oh, here you come, here it comes, here it comes. A few years ago, I thought I read a study to the effect. It was a medical survey, actually, that stated that people who are chronic <laughs> complainers live longer than those who are sweet and serene people. I can believe this. I remember that study saying something to the effect that these people, you know, their cantankerous spirit gives them purpose for living. That that actually, each morning they get up with a fresh challenge to see how many things they're going to grumble and complain about. That they actually derive their satisfaction from making other people miserable. I could not believe this. And one day, this has been vague in my mind, I was talking to a group of pastors, a friend of mine, for, before we prayed, and I, I sort of questioned aloud the accuracy of this study. I could not believe that the cantankerous people live longer than the sweet and the gentle and loving people. I couldn't understand this. Well, one of my pastor friends said, uh, Michael, you are new at this pastoring business. He said, uh, it just feels that way. <laughs> it feels that they live longer. easy it would have been for Joseph 
to have let himself into that self-pity mode of seething resentment eating into his life, how easy it would have been for him. And you know what? I think he would have been justified. How easy for Joseph to have dwelt upon the incredible injustice that has happened to him. How easy for Joseph to have dwelt upon the fact that his family was a dysfunctional family. And make no mistake about it, no more dysfunctional family like Jacob's family. He would have been justified in complaining and and talking about it. But listen, I will tell you exactly what would have happened to Joseph had he fallen in that trap. Because the scriptures show us other examples. He would have allowed the darkness the dark clouds of the dungeon to gather inside of him. And he would have slowly but surely wasted in despair. Instead, Joseph got himself, according to the scripture, busy caring for other inmates. (laughs) He was concerned for the others. He was so loving, he was serving, he was doing things. He forgot about his problems and got involved in somebody else's problem. And you know what happened? The officials noticed that and they said, Hey, we want to make you honorary deputy warden of the prison. How do I know that Joseph lived above his pain? How do I know that Joseph lived above his circumstances? How do I know that Joseph did not focus on his problem, focus on himself, but focused on others? It is right here on verse 6 of Genesis 40. One morning, he noticed that two of the inmates who were officials in Pharaoh's palace were dejected. Just think about it. With all of his problems, all that he's going through. But he noticed these guys dejected. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever get yourself wrapped up in your problem so tightly, like a rug that's wrapped up tight? that you even fail to notice how the dearest and the nearest feel in your life? That wasn't Joseph. He was so sensitive about the conditions of these people around him that he sensed even when one time they were feeling dejected and they were feeling sad. We are not told why the chief cook and the chief of protocol. That's really what the cupbearer is. It's not a waiter in the White House. This guy was really a chief of protocol. He was in charge of everything. We are not told why they were thrown into prison. Probably false accusations. Most likely it would be. Chief Cook may have given Pharaoh medium rare steak instead of well done. The Egyptians don't like medium rare. Take that from me, please, for next time you invite me to a steak. <laughs> And Pharaoh just didn't like it, and he said, throw the rascal in the prison. Be that as it may, it doesn't really matter. Joseph got involved in other people's lives. That's what the Scripture is trying to communicate to us. He helped to cheer the inmates. Verse 7, letter part of verse 7, he comes to him and says, Why are your faces so sad today? (laughs) Why are your faces so sad today? Man, the man... He's got alligators up to his ears. (laughs) And he's got a lot of problems. He's got his own feelings of injustice. He's got his own feelings of being there wrongly. But that didn't stop him. Why are your faces so sad today? Joseph never let his own troubles make him lose his compassion toward others. Well, they said to Joseph, well, we, we both had dreams last night. 
<laughs> dreams. Joseph knows all about dreams. You just came to the right man. He knows all about dreams. Let me tell you how I would have responded to these guys. Okay? Not you, just me. This is how I would have responded. Dreams, 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 dreams. And I wouldn't sing it. I'd just say it. Don't get hung up on your dreams. Oh, I had a dream once exactly 11 years ago. But look what my dreams have gotten me. Look where I am. Where are my dreams now? Listen, the sooner you get over your dreams and get them out of your head, the better off you're going to be. But thank God, Joseph was not like me. Giving full credit to God, he proceeds to interpret their dreams. Do you notice? Joseph here is wedged between two men. One was destined to salvation, and the other was destined to death. Just like the Lord Jesus Christ, when he hung on the cross, he was wedged between two criminals. One called upon him and was saved and went to paradise, and the other grumbled and complained and denied him and ended up in eternal judgment. Everywhere you go, everywhere I go, you are wedged between two people. Those who will listen to the message of Christ through your witnessing and those who will refuse. Well, within three days, both were released. And the baker to be hung, just as Joseph told him. And the cupbearer was restored to his position back in Pharaoh's palace. Verse 14, you can freely feel Joseph's pathos as he's telling the cupbearer to remember him when he gets out of prison. He said, I have interpreted this dream for you, and I want to ask you one favor. Please, 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 don't forget me. And after the cupbearer was restored to his position in Pharaoh's palace, day after day he was with him, yet he did not tell Pharaoh about Joseph. Why? The Bible said, as verse 23, that the cupbearer has forgotten Joseph. He's forgotten him. Is there anything worse than disappointment in others? Make no mistake about it. Live long enough and you will be disappointed in people. You will be disappointed in people. I was discipled at the age of 18 by a man who was working as a domestic in our home. He was a literate man, but he loved God. He had more wisdom than so many of the theologians that I got to know later on in life. And he said to me, I will never forget it. The age of 18, new Christian, he said, don't ever look up to somebody because he's in a position of leadership. Respect him, yes. But don't make them your model because sooner or later, they will disappoint you. Sooner or later, they will disappoint you. But look to one. His name is Jesus. He will never disappoint you. We often place such high expectations of others who will disappoint us. And the higher the expectations that we place on them, the bigger the disappointment. For those of you single... When you start meeting someone and you get all excited and, and you get romantically involved and you think that this person, he or she is the best thing since sliced bread. And then when the hammer falls, you think they're the biggest louse since that period too. Husbands and wives who place unrealistic expectations of each other will be disappointed and hurt. 
Parents who place unrealistic expectations of their children will end up being disappointed and hurt. Christians who place unrealistic expectations of the church or the pastor or people in leadership will be disappointed when they wake up one day and discover that they're not the fourth member of the Trinity. Thank God for that. Now you need to say amen to that one. So Joseph's hope for early release from prison gets delayed two more years. Now it's been 13 years since that boy left home looking for his brothers. 13 years. And now he's celebrating his 30th birthday in this Egyptian dungeon. Where are his dreams? Where is the God who has given him those dreams? The author of these dreams, where is he? Remember that God's delays are his detours and not his terminating point. Remember that interrupted dreams are not necessarily broken dreams. Remember that unrealized dreams are to be waited for, not to be abandoned. Frozen dreams are meant to be defrosted in God's oven and in God's time. There's an early Australian explorer by the name of Hamilton Hume. He took a team with him and they set about to find a path between Sydney and Melbourne. And they came to a point in their exploration with point of crisis. When they came face to face with a mountain range, which now known as the Hume Range. When they came to that mountain range, they were utterly exhausted. They were thoroughly worn out. They could not move one more step. And the team came to Mr. Hume and they begged him. They said, please let us give up and go back. Hume pointed to a high mountain just ahead, and he said to them, No, we must climb that one. We must climb that one. From the summit of this one, I am sure, we will see the ocean, and then we can go back home and tell our friends about our successes. In a desperate struggle, they climbed that particular mountain, and they reached to the top of that mountain, and imagined their utter despair and disappointment when all they could see for miles and miles and miles, ridges and gullies and ridges and gullies, all covered with trees. The goal that they had dreamed was not even in sight. To their credit, they kept on going, and they reached Melbourne. And they named that mountain, Mount Disappointment. Appropriate name. God's winners always win, even when they are on hold in their life. Your dreams might be on hold right now. Your marriage might be on hold right now. Your profession might be on hold right now. Your dream of having children might be on hold right now. Your ministry might be on hold right now. And you're probably feeling frustrated and disappointed. Remember Joseph. Don't be tempted to live by your feelings and not by faith. That's the first temptation that Satan will bring to your life. When you are disappointed, when your dreams are on hold, the first temptation he brings to you is to begin to live by your feelings, not faith in the God of heavens. Remember, Joseph, and don't be tempted to place your emotions above your will. 
Remember Joseph and don't be tempted to place your emotions above the will of God in your life. Which is most important of all. I don't know where you are, but God does and you do. As it is always my prayer, it's always my, the desire of my heart, it's always the subject of my prayer before God throughout the week. He gave me those words and I put them together in paper that somehow each one of us come to encounter with the living Jesus Christ. And in the privacy of where you are, bring your broken dreams, bring your broken hopes, bring the thing that is on hold in your life that is causing you frustration and and tempting you to come and live by your feelings instead of staying firm in a shaky world and being a winner for Jesus. I want you to hand those to the Lord. Hand them over to Him. He said, Lord, I'm going to be on this holding position until you intervene. Our loving Father, your word, and I know from my experience, that when you put us on hold, you seem to be far away, and yet we know you're not, but we feel that way. And Father, I lift up to you, and I stand here today in this awesome place of praying on behalf of your people, that you will speak to every heart at this very moment. Comfort, calm, assure, bring your word to bear. Bring that experience of Joseph into our lives, that we walk out of this place knowing that we may be, or some area in our lives may be on hold, but you are working your purposes out, even in those times when we are on hold. Father, all of this we seek and ask that our lives be light, shine to this fallen world. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.